Hello and welcome to the Robert A. Heinlein Book Club. And in this episode, I'll be looking at uh, part two of Methuselah's Children. So this will be the the section that appeared in in Astounding in August 1941. So part two of three, um, and I'll just finish it up now. For the last part, I'll I'll talk about like the epilogue that he added for the book too, because that's not in the original astounding publications i think most people probably read the book version of this and that's the audiobook version i listened to um but i you know i was looking at the the original astounding edition so the changes are for the in these parts are mostly uh what the writing they're significant there there's a lot of changes but they're they're changes that they don't really add much to the story but that's not true in the third part. In the third part, we have a whole new, uh, essentially, epilogue in which the there's a return to Earth and all that. But we, we had to get ahead of ourselves. Um, where we left off last time is we were introduced to the Howard's families, these people who, through basically selective breeding, have been able to extend their lives um, into hundreds of years. And, and I cast some doubts you know, I, I made the doubt face with how that was done as rapidly as it was done because Lazarus Long was buried, was born in like 1911, which only had been like 60 years after the Howard family started doing this, which doesn't seem enough time to actually shift the bell curve to long life. But we'll allow it, and there's going to be a lot more Lazarus Long books that I haven't read yet. So um, if, if you've read Heinlein, you know where he's going with this. If you know there's an explanation for this in like uh, Time Enough for Love or, or The Kid That Walks Through Walls or some book like that. Sorry, I don't know that. I'm just reading. I'm just a, I'm just a noob, uh, a Heinlein noob trying to come to terms with this guy. Um, so we were introduced to the Lazarus or Lazarus Long and the Howard families. And we were introduced to the problem in that they were basically being outed by due to various reasons, outed to the general population as long-lived individuals. And then the, then the, there was a fear that they'll essentially either be coerced into a type of slavery until they give up their knowledge about long life, because that's the one thing humans want more than anything else is more of life. And if there's people that have it, they're going to want to know the secret. Now, their secret is genetic. It's not selective breeding. It's not a, a potion they take, but that's not going to convince the people, right? who are going to demand the potion. So then they realize, like, if we can't give that, we're just going to be persecuted. We're just going to become victims of the mob. So we need to eventually... Uh, our, our, what are our solutions? Well, one is try to remain in hiding, reinforce their hiding, but that's becoming less and less possible, uh, except kind of living in a Coventry type of situation where they would, like, be outside of mainstream society um, but still on earth or leave earth and go to another planet and those are the options that are kind of on the table um, and as we get into part two of the book we see we, we really begin with the negotiations between the normies and the howards families about like 
is there some way this can be worked out? And then it's, it's revealed that that's not going to happen. That that basically that the choice is going to be really just escape or 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 genocide. That's what uh, is going to. That's what they're being left with. They're basically all going to be in prison. In fact, that's what happens to them. They all get kind of captured and put in the giant concentration camp. The prescience on this is pretty actually astounding. We have a, um, a population that becomes migratory. It's kind of the Jewish story inverted, where you start, like, historically you have the, the diaspora, which, you know, eventually leads to the concentration camp, right, in, in Europe, and then like, the European response to, to the presence of Jews. Here you have, the, you begin with them being basically crypto population who gets revealed they end up in concentration camps and then that leads to the 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 diaspora right it's an inversion of that story and that's anyway that's what happens but the question is like how do we do it and eventually the answer is the generation ship that is in the story of universe something like that so they have to uh get on a ship uh take a ship and leave earth altogether and that's what they end up choosing to do but first, like the technology, this has to be worked out because they, they don't want the, the really slow interstellar ship, the generation ship. They want something faster. And thankfully, there's a lot of smart people among the Howard's family. So we got this guy, uh, Andrew Jackson Libby, and he invents this uh, special drive that will allow them to, to, leave, to leave the solar system. Right, and escape Earth and escape the prejudice and violence and incarceration and eventually genocide that is promised to them by by staying on Earth. Um, so that's we get a lot about that and the details of how this works and there's like a slingshot effect kind of uh, talked about here. Um, this is really stretched out in in the story. It's a big chunk of the story is just the logistics of working out this escape, which is good. It's 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 right that. They do that, but there's not too much to talk about, I suppose. Um, it is certainly a good example of Heinlein being enamored with this type of figure, this technocratic uh, figure like that that has the knowledge and therefore can I guess the guy who through math saves a day. That's what I'm trying to say. We, we've already seen that enough in, in Heinlein stories that there's, um, you know, the criticism of Heinlein. Well, we, I suppose you should start talking about these because they're out there and you see them early on. I mean, it's, it's promising when you start with For Us to Living and you're like, wow, maybe there's something. Maybe he's not the right wing proto-fascist or no, I guess proto-fascist is the wrong term like like essentially quasi-fascist that he gets accused of being sometimes that oh yeah he's he's a feminist and he's a sexual libertarian and all that but but deep down he's basically a, a fascist right um that criticism is out there I, I don't have to point to too many articles that 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 reinforce that argument um and of course a lot of them will speak to starship troopers which I have read before so I can talk about that and there's this idea that that like the criticism of that book is that he seems to really take seriously the idea that that military service is required for for voting rights. Right now, I'll point out that that's not that far from, from Frederick Jameson's idea of universal conscription. 
right? That there are leftists who have made the case that maybe we should just conscript everyone into the army, right? Now, that's not quite what Heinlein's saying to Starship Troopers. He does have this idea of service being uh, a select few who get to vote uh, and as, a, as a payment for their, or as a privilege that they gain from military service. But I will say also that that's just one book of his, and that's not necessarily his the opinion he's going to take to his grave. Um, it's not necessarily his program for, for the future. It is a science fiction novel, right? And he presents it in a positive way. But then our sources in the book are always from like civics teachers and things, civics textbooks, um, as, as I recall. I'll, I'll say more about that when we get to the book. Um, but anyways, you know the criticism of Heinlein that's out there. And, you know, at times... I, I kind of, I want to find ways of reading Heinlein that, that go beyond that. I'd like to do that. And that's one of the reasons I'm, I'm engaging in this project. Because I do think there's a lot of interesting ideas he has. And I, I do think his, his individualism is significant for a, a, a radical um, project set in America. Right. I, I think ultimately we need to have the collective. We need to have the community. That's that's ultimately the solution. And those who reject it and embrace kind of a hyper individualism like Heinlein are wrong. Essentially, they're they're not going to get it. And even here, you have something, a collective project. But Heinlein can't stop creating the the, the supermen within those movements. It's Lazarus Long or Libby, um, or or other hyper intelligent people who are able to solve the problems and therefore deserve uh, a certain status, a certain position in authority. Um, this book doesn't quite give me any too much hope of, of, of an escape from that. I mean, I think that's what you're going to have to live with, with Heinlein, is those types of characters and those types of uh, perspectives. It's just something you're going to have to look, see through and try to come to something um, beyond that, right? And not get bogged down in that. Because that's obviously true. That criticism of Heinlein is true. There's truth to it. But if you just barrel down in that, you're, you're going to miss the big picture. It's, it's kind of like if you read Philip Dick and only care about the question of, like, what is human? Then you end up with just like Blade Runner 2048 and Harrison Ford is an android. That, that's all you can get at. That's as far as it goes. When there's all these other themes in Philip Dick, right? Um, and if you kind of can read these texts freshly, you can kind of identify what some of these are. And one here, obviously, if speaking of Philip Dick, is the, is the need for a frontier. Is this idea of, of, of a space in which people can like, lay like lay claim to themselves right like remake themselves and re-envision a place for themselves off of earth now it's flustered in this book in this book there is no frontier that anyone can go to because they're all populated by people that they can't dislodge right and and in a way he's not being fully honest it's like why not just have the the howard families just genocide these indigenous populations and take it over right that's what humans do. That's that's kind of the human narrative, but he 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 doesn't really do that here. So the frontier is sort of closed off, at least in the sense that in the places we can get to in this story. So it's not quite going to be a story of of 
of the frontier, although it's kind of adjacent to it. So what do we get instead? Um, we, we sort of get, uh, I was thinking Marty, but someone else was telling me we, we also sort of have a Gulliver's Travels here. Um, so we get, so then we, if we think of it like Gulliver's Travels, then we can get a social commentary and social criticism through the places we observe. So maybe that's where we're going. But ultimately the story is going to be one of, of divergence of the human population, right, by this longevity. And then after this adventure, after this quest, a refusing of the human population into one community, right? So we do end up with kind of the collective being restored at the end. The, the trailblazers, right, are ultimately made redundant by... The achievement of all humanity right we all evolve together ultimately is that that's what Heinlein is saying we have to right otherwise we're just going to have conflict it, it is essentially at the end of the story everyone is an x-man right so magneto's program doesn't make any sense because if everyone's an x-man there's there's no we've all evolved together right and that's that's human history actually right whatever it is whether it's industrialization or the axial age or agriculture, right? These leaps in human achievement have always been collective, right? Right. It's never just been one man taking the benefit for the invention, right? And all those inventions I just mentioned are not of one person, anyways, right? But, but yeah, we evolve together, and even if if the whole like. Uh, Lazarus' long quest to find another planet for the Howard's families is a bit of, dis of a distraction from what really end up happening, which is humanity coming back together on the same terms with one another through mutual co-evolution. And they kind of get there in different ways, but ultimately they're in, they end up in the same space. Long lives, right? And that's going to open up new hosts of problems and contradictions and tensions right but they're going to be there have to be there to work be worked out so anyways that's getting ahead a little bit of, of where uh i need to go in this part so we we get a lot on the the technology as i said the technology of the the ship and then the exodus itself and how it's worked out and and the kind of the creation of a democracy on here none of this stuff is is really the heart of what makes this story interesting to me but it is they do take time. Heinlein, or Heinlein does take this time to establish, like, how are we going to find a leader? And again, he resorts to, like, the, the, the technocratic kind of meritocracy stuff when finding the leaders. And you have the, the, the smart people who don't want to get dirty by politics and, and all that. It's not a democratic decision, ultimately. And then we have, like, the like how it's worked out of people in cryo and other people, like, running the ship. And, and a rotation of all that. Most people are in some kind of cryo, so they just sleep through the whole trip. So all that's fine. The ship's called the New Frontiers, which of course uh, make it, this is a frontier story in a way. But you know, the frontier is going to be closed off, right? Now, the planet they meet, they the first planet they get to. They go to two planets over the course of the novel, and the. 
the, the last, the second one is, is in the next part. So we're not going to talk about it now, but the first one they go to is the Jokairi. And let's, Heinlein does spend a lot of time describing these people. And the people, the, the Jokairi are basically welcoming to the Howard's family. They're, they're actually only almost creepily welcoming of them. Um, in fact, the cities that are there are well adapted because the Jokairi people are also, also humanoid, very earth-like, very human-like, right? But they're culturally different. So this is where we kind of be, end up in a, in a sort of Gulliver's Travels kind of thing or a Marty kind of story where we get to spend some time in this other, other world. And that's, is that supposed to be a criticism of some aspect of earth culture or, 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 the, or Heinlein's own world? You know, is this the criticism of, of a socialism? I mean, I guess that's the low-hanging branch here. The long hang, long hang, low, low-hanging fruit is that this is Heinlein's criticism of kind of a socialism, where we have a, a domesticated people who have all their needs taken care of and are very cooperative, but they don't have any privacy, and they're, eventually, they're ultimately going to be the parasites of some other larger force. Is it a criticism of, of capitalism by the same logic? I don't know. It's a criticism of something in in Heinlein's own world. Something in his mind leads him to to write this account of a of a people who are, we are fooled to think are is is someone we want to emulate or or this is like this is a great planet we want to be here they're welcoming they're open to us we don't have to adapt much uh, and you know there's going to be some adaptation but it's not going to be that hard. Um, you can jury rig, you know, he even talks about this, how they can jury rig, things like that. Um, but then as you get deeper, there's, there's, um, the differences are that they can't be individuals, right? They're lacking that. They're lacking the individualism that the Howard's families are going to have, right? Um, Quote, their cultures were basically different. The Jokairo were not human beings physically and had different physiological requirements. That in itself called for adaptation, though probably less adaptation than would be required to shift from a New York auto apartment to an igloo of the ancient Eskimos. The human race is physically adaptable. That's one of its strongest points. The city had no drainage system in any modern sense because the Jokairo had different toilet requirements and different ways of meeting them. Rather than tear up the entire city and start over again, the Earth engineers installed self-contained freshers of spaceship types using both equipment taken from the ship and the materials provided by their helpful but obviously baffled hosts. The Jokairo culture apparently did not include the idea of privacy, but again, the hosts were helpful and provided thin sheets of plastic which were used for temporary partitions. The Jukairo were completely gregacious themselves and seemed unable to comprehend that any individual could prefer to be alone at any time for any purpose. Apparently, they came to believe this point is in doubt that privacy held for Earthmen a religious significance. So we have kind of a, a more collective um, people uh, in the in the Jokairo. And what is that supposed to, to symbolize? Uh, like I said, it, it may be baby socialism. I mean, they're sharing, right? They live collectively, right? They, um, the things that the humans have to add are the things that establish kind of a privacy, whether it's the, the, I mean, he doesn't get much details about the sewer system, but maybe that's ultimately the issue there too, is the lack of, of privacy. 
right? Their city is kind of more, um, more unitary. Now, the reason for this ultimately, and, and that's not introduced till the third part, but it, we can kind of come out and say it now, is that they are essentially being being the the harvest. They're, they are the agricultural products of some other race and they just want the humans to also be a part of that too so the idea then the criticism of this is yeah you may think this is a, a useful life but you're actually just tools you're actually just the consumer product that's being produced right and in that sense why isn't this just as easily a criticism of like a capitalist uh environment in which we're all just uh consumers of product now there's there's a scene where lazarus long uh, stays with this one family, the Creel family. So they still have families. They're not that, I guess, homogenized and, and hive-minded yet. But, uh, you know, he, he struggles to eat the food. Um, quote, it's not bad, rather bland and sticky, no particular flavor. Not good either, but it could be swallowed. It's established earlier in the book that Lazarus Long is a big believer in the big meal, the big hearty meal. Um, with a grim determination to uphold the honor of his race, he ate on while promised himself a proper meal in the near future. What he felt that to swallow another mouthful would be to invite disaster. He thought of a possible way out. Reaching his hand to the common plate, he offered a large bite, which he offered to Sarlu. This seemed to be a piece of inspired diplomacy. For the rest of the meal, Lazarus fed Sarlu, fed him his arm till his arm was tired, until he marveled at his sociability to tuck it away. End quote. So in a way, like... The dining ritual itself is is a collective. It's a sharing process, right? Um, then Lazarus slept with the family. Literally, they slept where they had eaten without benefit of beds and disposed as casually as leaves fallen on the path or puppies in a pen. To his own surprise, Lazarus slept well, but did not awaken until the false suns of the cavern floor roof, sorry, cavern roof glowed in mysterious sympathy of the new dawn. Sarlo was still asleep near him and giving forth most human-like snores. Lazarus found that one of the infant Jokaira had nested a spoon fashion against his stomach. End quote. So he is experiencing this, this much more collectively lived lifestyle where there's no privacy. That's the heart of it, right? That's what is going to be the problem, why the Howard family ultimately is not going to be able to, to, to... Well, that's part of it, right? It's also going to be that the Jokaira themselves are the product. But I... I think this is Heinlein trying to get at like the state. The state is the shepherd or the state is the farmer cultivating us, right? In whatever way, capitalist or socialist or whatever. He's just going to stand up for individualism in the face of like this kind of communalism or whatever it is, right? Even in the more socialistic leaning works like For Us to Living, it's still ultimately like a basic income sort of scheme where it, you know, a lot of people who support the basic income scheme believe that this is going to inspire and enhance our capacity to be stronger individuals because we no longer have to work for some bum and, and conform our, our desires and wishes to their needs. You know, we're free to start a business. We're free to uh, be an artist. We, we can be an individual if we're not bound by the needs of the marketplace. Right. If we're not just ultimately product. So, again, the politics of it don't really matter. It's the issue of the state and the group mind kind of controlling us and turning us into something that's easily consumable. 
right? And this part ends with the revelation that that's really what all this is about, that, that they are being prepared just like the Jokaira are being prepared to be products of, of consumption, and this eventually forces them to leave the planet altogether, right? So, I mean, thinking big picture here, they're, f they're, they're not going to be able to find a home, right? In, in a sense, they have to go back to their homeland. But only um, as, but that's only possible once the homeland is like them. And I don't know what to make of all this yet. I, I think there's a lot of cool ideas here. It's just kind of all jumbled in my, my head. I, I'm, I, I don't, it's not like reading Philip Dick. Where you're like, I know exactly what Philip Dick is trying to say here, right? You can tell, like, there's something there, but I, I'm on the cusp of it, and I just can't quite grasp it. Uh, and, I, and I find that a little bit frustrating, but but not too much. I, I it's, a, it's a really fun story, though. I, I do think it's, it's good. And I'm going to finish up my thoughts on uh, Methuselah's children in the, the next and final episode. And then from there, we're going to move on to either Lost Legacy or Sixth Column. I think I'm going to do Sixth Column first. But it's going to be six column lost legacy and then a few other stories elsewhere and, and whatever to finish up 1941 and i'm going to try to quickly finish up everything before the war um because then it's going to be a big gap in his career um but we got a little bit of work to do before we get there uh including finishing up our thoughts about methuselah's children i hope i kind of can it all can click together I, i'm not going to hold out too much hope that that's going to happen because i do uh this is open to many different interpretations, but uh, clearly the point is the Howard families cannot survive in with these other. They're too into, like there's something that they can't live on Earth initially because they're different, and they can't live on this planet because they're individuals, right? And that's kind of going to be the problem in, in the last planet too, where it's also kind of a problem of individualism. It's even more hive-minded in the, in the third the, the, the third planet and then they have to go back to earth where they can again be individuals but it's it's only when humanity has kind of evolved to a certain state that can accept them they're the vanguards of 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 a new type of humanity and they're going to struggle against collectivism in some form and come back to earth like re-inspired in their individualism not learning of the values of these other cultures it's in resistance to these cultures that they come back and and there's kind of a missed opportunity obviously in that but it's, you know Heinlein can write what he wants i'm not going to begrudge him that i'm just trying to get my head around him um it's it's like he is a fascinating guy and there's so much to like about what he's trying to say even when he annoys us even when he annoys me um and you know i there's more to him than just like starship troopers right obviously and he gets reduced to that narrative so much but at the same time when you're reading him you're like i understand why he gets reduced to that because he can't stop himself from like from saying things like this and that's kind of where we're at in the middle of methuselah's children is like He's missing the opportunity to to really engage in community, like to, to, to find the value of a community. For him, it has to be exploitation of some sort, ultimately. Um, 
but anyways i'll i'll try to piece this together in in the next next episode we'll see um anyways thanks for listening um see you next time with my conclusion to my to the thoughts on methuselah's children Thank you.